And, and, and this is that mismatch that kind of happens. So you, you get the feeling that certain strongs of society on the tech side and economic side are, are moving at such a fast pace. And education is trying its best to kind of catch up and catch up and catch up. Mm. But, but, but are we in sync? And I think that's where some of the big mismatches are happening. Welcome to the Parenting Mindset Show with Forrest and Bo. Conscious conversations to help you take your teen from anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem to empowered and inspired so you can have less chaos and more connection in your life. It takes a village. And now, on to our show. All right, welcome to the Parent Teen Mindset Show. I am your host, Forrest Bolin. I'm excited to be here with you today. Uh, just as a reminder, um, you know, you're getting on the show. We have a Facebook group, the Parents of Awesome Teens with Anxiety, Depression, and Low Self-Esteem. Head on over to Facebook. Make sure you're involved in the group. We're going to have support. We're going to have an amazing community there for you. Just go in there and search Parents of Awesome Teens. We will come up. Join our group, and we'd love to support you with your teens. Our guest today is amazing, right? He's the founder of Trinkle, a boutique thought consultancy in Asia. Our guest founded Trinkle in 2020 after serving in various leadership roles within the investment banking and brokerage industries globally. In addition, he currently advises multiple think tanks, EdTech, and FinTech startups in Asia, including several educational institutes. Rish is a qualified NLP master and psychotherapist who currently spends most of his time in Asia helping the sociology, education, and neuroscience movements there. Let's give a big round of applause and welcome to Rish Tandapane. What's up, Rish? Thank you, Forrest. Love it. Love that introduction and uh, love that enthusiasm as well. Awesome, man. So, so great. Now, you're, you're calling in today from uh, Singapore, right? Yeah, that's great. Excellent, excellent. And the topic, we're going to get into some East meets West today, right? East meets West. I love that. A global childhood in the new normal, because it is a new normal, right? Uh, we've had a global pandemic. We've had all kinds of um, societal issues here in America, and we've had things worldwide. Um, so what do you think, Rish, what, where do we go from here and what, what, maybe what's been the problem that you've seen in your eyes first? Let's look at the problem. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think we've all, we've seen all types of craziness, you know, um, mm-hmm. if, if, if the last year and a half was like an Avengers movie, it would have been like, you know, five Avengers movies rolled into one and, you know, <laughs> the world is trying to navigate it and, you know, we've had aliens come in, we buy like a pandemic. We've got social crises, like you know the 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 Avengers getting kind of trapped and, and figuring out their role in society. You know, it's just just so 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 many things have kind of hit you. Um, yeah. I I just think the problems are we we still don't talk enough. The, the level of discourse in society is still not the way it should be. Um, I, I still think we definitely are not preparing ourselves for future problems in the way that we should be. Uh, that comes back to the kind of discourse. And I just think my personal opinion on this is that there are not enough effectual government or international agencies out there that, that kind of can control and lead and manage movements in the world. And, you know, we've seen this in the pandemic with, with, with Corona, where, you know, the United Nations have played a role, but how successful that role has been is, is very questionable. And, 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 you know, it has a net impact. You know, if we, if we look at things from an ex- existential risk point of view, which I do a lot, right? Like mm. I, I literally do sit time, sit down at my desk sometimes and think, well, Hey, if aliens are going to come and, and knock on our door one day 
they'd be pretty happy at what they see if, if their aim is to take over this world. Because I mean, we're giving them enough. Uh, we're giving them enough ammunition, and I think they're divide I mean, and just, conquer, right? All they have uh, to do is divide and conquer, and there's so much division with, like you said, the lack of communication and and the lack of maybe leadership. Um, that's really causing a yeah, problem and, here. And and what what leaders and I guess businesses in particular don't understand is that their lack of of clarity and coherence and their approach to things also just leads to social problems, right? And we've seen this in the States with, with, with racial riots. We've seen this in Asia with things like China, Hong Kong, where there's a mismatch of opinions and desires. Myanmar, yeah. where there's a huge problem at the moment. So whilst we have the capability of you know, producing and, and excelling in many fields, especially on the tech side, we seem to be socially in this kind of quandary where we don't really know what we're doing, right? And bringing this back to what, what, what we're here to talk about is, I mean, this is us as grown adults thinking this. I mean, imagine what our kids are going through when they're in that absorption stage of their life. And they're like, well, what the hell do I do? You know, like, I've got this, I've got to take this, I've got to take that. I mean, things need to be a bit easier. And as human beings, I'm pretty sure we want them to be. Right. And and if you think back at prior generations, you know, the, I think every generation has their own thing that they're kind of overwhelmed with, whether it's war, uh, economic depression, you know, racism, all these different things. What's different now? you know, with these, with these kids, our youth today? So I, I think essentially nothing is that different. I, I think the, the problem is if you, if you look at what you've brought up, you know, racism, war, sometimes famine, health issues, things like that, these are essentially the bullets in your gun, right? And in the past, that gun had to be found, had to be made, had to be created to a certain extent. The, 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 the visual and definitely kind of audio means of actually getting that out there were, were quite different you know for instance if you wanted to boycott someone you literally had to boycott someone you had to go to your town squire and and, and and chant his name and get a legal process but with the with the formulation of the digital world and in, in particular the internet we see that information has become so pervasive right that our kids are literally flooded with so much into their cortex that actually you know, we have no way of controlling that one. And two, we're not even sure if they're getting flooded with the right information. And I, I think that's particularly the the big problem at the moment. It's a problem for parents because parents themselves are still learning that game. But it's also a huge problem for kids because the kids, you know, your traditional means of, you know, taking Encyclopedia Britannica and reading or taking, you know, sort of Harry Potter books and reading that is, is, is becoming more and more archaic. And a kid can just go online now and say, hey, you know, give me a synopsis of all the Harry Potters. And I'll yeah. read that. Now, that synopsis is probably made by a couple of dudes on the back of their computer who may or may not may be wrong, right? And this is one of the big problems I think we have is how that information is disseminated, processed, and utilized. And, mm. you know, I think some of the best schools out there are, are coming to grips with this by, you know, digitalizing their education experience. But just remember, when you digitalize your education experience, you are you're pretty much assuming that the teachers and the parents are also pretty up to date on that digital experience, which is a really big assumption in this mm -hmm. day and age, right? Because mm -hmm. I definitely know 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds who are a lot better equipped at searching Google and, and going online and finding out things than I am, right? That are moving at such a fast pace. And education is trying its best to kind of catch up and catch up and catch up. Mm -hmm. but, but, but are we in sync? And I think that's where some of the big mismatches are happening. Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned earlier when we talked that you um, grew up, your teenage years was pretty stable for the most part, and you grew up in the UK. 
Um, but you, you had mentioned that if you had grown up in today's society, things may have been different for you. Why did you say that? I think when I grew up, benefit of hindsight, things seemed easier. Thing, things seemed very, you know, end, end of the day, your, your education, which is essentially a systemic uh, driver, mm-hmm. was, was pretty, pretty robust and governed how, how, however any government wanted to do it. And when I went to school, we had a strict syllabus. We, we dealt with social issues via those syllabus points. Um, we also dealt with things like bullying, et cetera, within the confines of that education industry. And, and I'm not saying that was necessarily a good thing, but at least we knew the parameters in the game and the playing field with which we're playing the game, right? right. I feel that now, especially with things like Twitter, Facebook, and IG, you, you, the game has changed. And you get the same issues, probably uh, you know, uh, amped up a bit, but you get the same issues, but the entire game and playing field has changed. And this is what is the, the major fundamental difference for me at the moment. I mean, kids have so many different outlets and they have so many different mechanisms to try to solve those outlets that it should be a good thing, don't get me wrong. But because we're not teaching kids how to best utilize the internet, because we're not teaching kids things like mindfulness, because we're not teaching things the new wave of learning, right? Mm. You know, they're kind of in this kind of, like I said earlier, the word I use is quandary where they, they want to know loads of stuff, but they're not being kind of guided how to know that stuff. And then they go and find to find out how to learn, learn it themselves. And then you're, you're, you know, you, you get these kind of personality disorders and this kind of mismatch of opinions. And I, I think that's one of the big problems we're facing in society. I mean, when I was growing up, it was pretty simple. I go to the library, I read some books, come home, read the same books. I've got some level of knowledge. I apply it from an exam step standpoint or social standpoint. And that's kind of it. I talk with my friends about it. And I feel now that the internet is, is kind of our best friend and our worst enemy at the same time, because you know, if you to give you just a good example, if, if a child is moody all the time, and they they go on and say, "I'm a moody child on Google," you know, what is it? And you you'll probably get a list of about seven or eight different personality disorders. You know, mm-hmm. whether you've got imposter syndrome or histrionic or you know just general schizophrenia or, or, or anything. Right. And 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 when you get a twelve year old child processing that information, it's 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 valuable if the child knows how to process it. But if the child has not been taught how to process, process that information, it could actually do more harm than good. And that, when I compare that to my education and, and my background, um, that's kind of what worries me a lot. And I think, you know, one of the mismatches I see the most is Asian culture, where I am now. So, you know, I work a lot with Hong Kong, China, Singapore clients. And yeah, you've got those parents really trying to handhold that traditional form of learning and education or, or that traditional form of parent-child bond, you know. And... Whereas in Western culture, I think there's much more of a push, and I can see this within the education systems there, to kind of free up the child's um, learning experience and their, their ego and, and, and how their mind processes information. Um, but that, that is it's just an open door for them at the moment. It hasn't been kind of filtered and, and, and driven in certain avenues that would make it slightly better for the child and the parent. Have you heard of the, the I think it's sometimes called like the Netflix syndrome, it's basically that idea that, you know, because you're on Netflix, you have all these choices and you're sitting there going through and you spend like 30, 40 minutes just looking at the choices, just stuck in paralysis of analysis of all the different options. Um, mm. And it seems like that with our education, you know, especially we're not sure whether to homeschool, whether to do, you know, this or that, you know, and then COVID 
everyone is on Zoom. So now we all learned how to Zoom school. And uh, now yeah. my kids are getting back into regular school and they're doing this hybrid thing. I mean, there's so many different options, right? But it's hard to know what's the best for you in your particular situation. One, it's hard to know what's best. Two, it's also very dependent on what you're prescribed by your governments, right? You know, it's, it's a really tricky situation we're in now because I think much like your Netflix syndrome analogy, the attention span of the child or, or children in general over the last 12 months has massively changed because the education model has changed. So you've gone from a classroom-based learning to either hybrid or online. And I think that's psychologically and socially something that a lot of people don't really think about when they're thinking about their child's future. You know, it's which is the best environment for my child to learn. My, my, my take on this is, 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 you know, I think you need that hybrid model. I, I do think, you know, there's no replacement for, you know, seeing friends, seeing teachers in person, seeing um, playing sports on the fields. Um, I think that adds a very different element to your education. Um, but I also feel that, you know, we shouldn't even be having these questions. I think governments are, are budgeted and, and, and taking enough of our revenue and enough of our, sorry, enough of our taxes and, and building up their budgets to such an extent that these questions should have been kind of thought about. And when I look at countries like Singapore, where I am now, they have thought about these questions. So Singapore does have a 5, 10, 15 year plan. Now, did they get everything right within that plan? 100% not. But there's definitely a evolutionary plan towards how they educate people. And and it worries me that a country with you know, 7 million people like Singapore can, can get it pretty much right. And, and maybe the, the reason why they get it right is because it is, a bit, it, it is small and, and it can be kind of just driven in a certain direction. But the U.S.'s, the U.K.'s, the France's of the world are, are getting this completely wrong purely because they've not done that scenario analysis. They've not done that predictive analytics that says, hey, what is the future of education? How do, how do my systemic choices and my systemic budgetary decisions impact the lives of kids? And, you know, a simple example of this is do all kids need an iPad when they go to school, right? If, if you go to some of the best schools in Asia, it's, it's part of your checklist. Your kid needs an iPad when he goes to school, even at the age of three or four. And... And, and government should be dictating that. Government should be dictating that, that level of online journey that they want their kids to, to, to go through in, in conjunction with speaking to parents. Whereas now I feel that education authorities are taking a big hit. And you know, there's a lot of parents going after them and, and schools in particular because they don't have the answers. But I don't really blame the education or the schools for not having the answers because teachers themselves and management of those institutions have been given no clear guidance or given the forum to speak openly about those type of things. So, you know, I think we're in that kind of strange kind of area now where we're all coming to terms with what COVID really means. And we're all coming to terms with how how our child's education or children's education is actually going to look in five, six, ten years time. And, you know, the reality is everyone, everyone gets scared when you start to threaten. So a traditional life cycle of a child is pretty simple it's zero to 18 or zero to 16 depending on the age of consent you're pretty much static you know you you govern by what your parents tell you to do you're 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 pretty much told in every aspect of your life you know this is what you should be doing uh, via this institute etc now there are obviously some decisions within that that you can make yourself but it's pretty static and then you hit that 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 um 18 year old barrier usually or 16 year old barrier and suddenly the world frees you up right and you're free to make all the decisions that you've got but what COVID has shown is actually that that cycle may have been pushed back a bit because you're not at school for a year or you're being homeschooled for a year or, or maybe the hybrid model isn't working and you've lost some of the social skills. So 
what are my social skill levels at the age of 18 now after COVID as opposed to what they would have been if I'd been kind of in school during the COVID time. So people are kind of pandering, uh, but you know, kind of postulating and, and trying to figure out these questions. And I feel like the governments and the think tanks are not really there to give answers to those questions. They're just, they're trying their best just to tell people that things are fine without actually giving them a roadmap to success. And then parents do the natural thing, which is to go online and say, hey, how, you know, I've got this 15 year old, you know, he's missed a year, he's missed six months of school, what do I do? This is a blog post from about maybe five or 10 other people who've done that. And, and then you get into your kind of model of just using Netflix as your guide for everything. Um, sorry, using Google as your guide for everything. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, right? Um, and ultimately the one person who hasn't really had a say in this whole thing is the child. <laughs> the child hasn't been the one who's been able to dictate, you know, what they want to do. You know, or do they feel comfortable going back to school? Do they feel comfortable with this hybrid model? Do they want to even accelerate their education because of the, the problems with COVID? And I've had kids talking to me around the 14, 15 age mark saying, you know, how do I catch up in a fast way? Because I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to fall back. I had a plan to go to university and school or college at the age of 18. I, I need to keep that up. And it's really interesting to see how this dynamic's playing. And you know, in Asia, it's still very much prescribed, as I mentioned. But in the West, I think you guys are, are a bit more of a free-for-all. Um, I, I think that, which is a good and a bad thing, you know, don't get me wrong, I think it can be a good thing in some ways. Um, but, but I think just parents, you know, COVID is as much a challenge for the parents as it is the kids and people don't necessarily talk. So I think, I think you know, you know this from first-hand experience with, with your marriage, I mean, you, even from a non-educational children's standpoint, um, there's always benefits of, of getting to know and mixing cultures and, and, and being kind of culturally agnostic if you can, you know, in, in how you conduct yourself. And um, with kids, it's, it's, it's even more so. And I would say that the Eastern Asian mentality is, is still quite traditionally based. You know, there's still a lot of, um, there's a lot of handholding and, you know, there's a lot of leash type behavior where the parents are dictating what the child does, okay? And that goes back to my analogy that between the age of zero and 16 or zero and 18, that, you know, you, you are essentially positions of the parents right you know, that's how the government labels them and so if a, if a parent says you're going to be a doctor parent says you know you need to study the science subjects to become a doctor a lawyer or a scientist that's kind of still how it works and because the traditional mindset especially of the older generation of asians is that job security and economic success is still probably the most two paramount values that they want to impart on their children and grandchildren then that obviously just filters itself into how they educate and, and how, how how they learn with their children so that's something I see very, very dramatically. And, and the advantages of that are pretty simple. It, it, it does tend to breed um, discipline and focus, okay? Mm. Because you've got a set of goals which are pretty much non-variable um, and, and leading to a specific pathway, which I think is a really, really good point. But it also does create kind of automaton replicate children. So if you look at a country like Singapore, most college graduates or, or even most people from high school going into college pretty much from a personality standpoint and from a subject matter knowledge standpoint are pretty similar okay you you'll you'll get the odd coders you'll get the odd violin players you'll get the odd olympic swimmers but net net because of the way the society works you, you tend to get more of a replicated society where people want to be doctors bankers accountants um you know those type of stem industries as well um and the government does try its best to to kind of move away from that but the the, the natural chinese asian culture is oriented towards that way and, and parents are pushing that point. On the West, I think, like I said before, it's a bit more of a free-for-all and, and there's a bit more 
education and learning around this idea that you know we have free will, we have free speech, we have elements of um, choice in everything we do, even at a young age. Okay, even if that's ten years old, and you know, a, a very good example of this would be kind of the whole gender topic that's going on at the moment globally, where you know, do we allow kids at the age of like nine, ten, eleven, twelve to even enter those type of topics because they have right. a view on their own gender? In, in in a Western country, that would be propagated. I mean, there, there are there are things that are um, that things that exist currently that allow kids to be part of those discussions. In Asia, that just won't happen. Okay, so right, the, whole, right. the whole the whole idea of you know. Um, hormonal therapy for kids and, and things like that in Asia just isn't taking off at all because the parents still think that they have some legal right over their children and the choices that they make up until a certain age. So well, I think it's that's crazy. Two- it's, it's pretty crazy risk because like, you know, you can get like, like these young kids that maybe like you said, go online because they're feeling a certain way. And now they're reading about, you know, Hey, I felt this way too. And it was because I didn't know it, but I, you know, it was, I actually feel like I'm the opposite sex. And so I started taking hormones and it was the answer for me. And so you might look at something like that and identify with it and say, Hey, this could answer for me too. And so, but now in the West, it's set up where you can go and there's these advocacy groups that kind of quote unquote protect you so that you don't have to tell your parents. So now they've they've already started you on this path of kind of indoctrinating you yeah. into a certain way of thinking when maybe it was just something that that person was going through and now they're being indoctrinated down a certain path. So you're saying in the east that's not happening, but in the west it's 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 a scary thing because now what have been a normal age, you know, part of your your um adolescence is mm. become this thing where people have taken advantage of it or steered you yeah. in a certain way and you think it's you making all the decisions, but you're being steered. So what, what would you say to that? Well, I, I, so I think there's two parts. I think the, the part about being subconsciously steered, I think is just horrific in, in my mind. You know, I, I, I do, I do think, you know, the, the terms parent child exists for a reason. Okay. It, it's not, you yeah. know, subject A versus parent A, right. It's, it's, they're, they're very unique identities that have certain definitional parameters attached to them. And, you know, if you exclude a parent or the child even has the ability to exclude a parent from those type of discussions, it's slightly worrying. And this is this this goes back to a more wider issue of, of how how much freedom of choice and how much information children of certain ages should be given access to, right? And I think in America, this has kind of just exploded in a way that we didn't, we weren't able to control that explosion, right? We, we, went, we just had to see the after effects. And the problem is in, in a country, especially a bipartisan country like the States, politics also take, gets involved because it wants to drive in certain directions dep- depending on you know, the, the political situation at the time. So you, currently you're seeing the left kind of really push on this issue and aggressively push on this issue because ultimately they want to propagate this idea of freedom of choice and that everyone's an individual, whether it's a five-year-old child or a 50-year-old man. And 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 that that to me is quite worrying because we're we're kind of changing the barriers and a lot of the social constructs that we had in place are, are suddenly kind of being blinded and and there's a lot of good authors have written about this this idea that these social constructs that have existed for millennia are now suddenly being shattered just because of potentially just information overload right now going back, going to your second point I mean I, I I when I say this doesn't exist in the in in Asia it's definitely not pushed forward from an education standpoint or systemic standpoint in Asia, right? So you're not going to go find a government body that talks talks about what we just talked about. But what you will 
in everyday life find is a child who has been Googling too long on that particular day, see that in America, a child had, a child had you know, hormone replacement therapy and uh, the child would be of a similar age, a similar kind of look, or, or, or maybe even relatable in every other way. And then they start Googling into that and then they start looking at information and then they start thinking, hey, you know, well, like you said, this is pretty much what I'm going through and that person's been able to go and get a woman replacement therapy. Why am I in Singapore or Hong Kong or China where these things are not allowed and whatever. And this is where yeah. the kind of social, you know, the breakdown of society somewhat happens. And then you, that, that child chooses to go through some level of mental health issues or, or sorry, maybe not chooses, but goes through a certain level of mental health issues without without choice because they've just read about those mental health issues right and you know if yeah. you read about depression enough you're likely to get depressed right um yeah uh, and you're it's the labels the it's, it's, yeah you're exactly right i mean the lab my, my, i remember my daughter was doing this i mean she was going on to like snapchat and tiktok and youtube and just going down this rabbit hole of anxiety and she kind of you know took on that label so strongly because like you said she had learned it and i just wanted to do uh if we can just press pause to for the listener right now, right? You know, we're, we just discussed something that could the transgender, you know, paradigm. So I do want to mm. say that, you know, if in this show, we're definitely open to all different types of, you know, sexual choices, sexual identity choices. Um, I have a lot of trans friends. I have gay and straight friends, um, you know, and, and really it's not about, you know, saying something is bad. What we're, we're really talking about is, you know, what are the choices that lead up to that? And is every choice meant for every person? And at what mm. level is education stepping in? And, and, and like Rich was saying, in a, in a government body, how, what level are they stepping in? But yeah, there's no judgment here. And there's definitely a, a different path for every person. You know, we want to recognize that. So, yeah. No, completely. And look, for, 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 the, for the listeners out there, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, we welcome everyone and everyone's view on the show. Uh, my main focus in, in, in audiences like this is to just illustrate, you know, the, the impact, positive and negative, that, that could happen on a child. Because essentially, as parents or, or as people working with children, we want to create an environment that is wholesome, happy and fun. Um, and we need to ensure that our, our, our governments, our parenting groups, um, socially, the social constructs that we create are, are positive and fun. And I think that's something we're getting reasonably wrong across the world at the moment. Yeah, I thought you said fun. We got to bring fun back, <laughs> yeah. Rich. How do, we, how do we bring fun back into, into education and you know, everything has become doom and gloom? Uh, but, then, but then there's this other aspect of like fun is what you see on Instagram or what you see on TikTok. <laughs> And that's like a false representation of the world because you're just looking at somebody's highlight reel of their life, right? So where's the, com where, where's the happy medium here? This short break comes from our sponsor, you. That's right. You are the reason our show exists. Thank you. Please head over to ParentTeenMindsetShow.com and become a patron of the show. It takes a village. With your monthly contribution, you help us support more parents and teens. We appreciate you big time. And now, back to our show. Well, I, I think the, the happy medium lies in understanding the technologies that our children are using. Okay, I think that's paramount. But, but you know... If I use an example, between, this, between the age of zero and uh, 10, zero and even 18 potentially, 
I'd say contains some of the most fun years of a human's life, right? You know, whether that's throwing paint at a wall or running around with your friends in a schoolyard or, you know, playing high school football. I mean, I, I remembered my youth as just some of the happiest days of my life, right? And because you're free of the worries of certain adult problems, such as taxes, earning an income, having a girlfriend, um, you know, kids, those type of things, you know, you, you already have a, a kind of controlled ecosystem to an extent that promotes a level of fun and happiness. And you hit adult life, and you, you, you know this as well, Forrest, you hit adult life, and suddenly, you know, you're in a job, you might be in a job you don't like, you, then you have to lead a team, you have to pay taxes, you have to study, you have to worry about, you know, things like you know, mental health problems coming up, you have to worry about, you know, you're affording the car that you always wanted, but probably can't afford paying rent, mortgages, things like that. So there is a clear distinction between the ecosystems of being a child and the ecosystems of being an adult. And the, the one thing that worries me at the moment, and probably that has caused the fun to dissipate slightly on both sides, is this kind of crossing over of worlds, okay? Um, and, and, and I see this a lot in, in places like the UK and, and, and Hong Kong about, you know, when should we introduce these concepts of, of adult life to a child? And when should we use these concepts of potentially damaging adult life to a child and a good example of this is, is when do you teach sexual health when do you teach things like mindfulness when do you teach things like depression religion all those type of things and yeah i think i think those topics you know this is where education bodies parents need to really get together and come up with a consensus as to what they feel or at least come up with a discourse as to what they feel is most beneficial for the child and and i and i had this conversation because I, I i teach a lot of mindfulness exercises to my clients my adult clients and one of my yeah. one of my clients, she came to me and she said, "Well, I want to try to relate this to my twelve-year-old daughter." And I as well, I said to her, well, "Be careful, you know, because don't 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 assume that she's not mindful as a twelve-year-old." Okay, right? Mm. Just just because mm. just because she's not as serious as you, just because she's not maybe going through the same level of mental health um, challenges that you're going through don't necessarily assume that she's not mindful. I mean, a child goes through a child goes through levels of innocent glee, innocent motivation, innocent enthusiasm about things that adults don't go through. And you can see this, the, the children that believe in Santa Claus, right? Despite the fact that, you know, we know Santa Claus doesn't exist, that that's not something we're taking away from them because it introduces a level of happiness and glee within them that we want to propagate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I had this conversation with her about not over-intellectualizing their childhood. And this is really key keen to me of, 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 of future education and especially helping kids understand that childhood is probably going to be the, one of their most fun parts, right? And a lot of the attributes that you have and you hold dearly to as a child should definitely be taken into adult life because one of the reasons we get depressed and anxious as adults is because we forget a lot of the in initial motivators for our fun, happiness and joy when we were kids. And, you know, we completely derail ourselves. When, and, and I don't think life is that complicated. I don't think life is is really that much of a cliff edge between the age of 16 and 18, where you, you suddenly go from being joyous, happy, and kind of carefree to being serious and, and, and just, you know, difficult. Um, so I think that's one of the key things of, of, one of the key aspects of introducing fun back into a children's life. I also feel that, you know, when I talk about over-intellectualizing, I feel that Google and um, I guess the information age generally has, has a lot of answers out there. And, you know, people who come to Google have probably found guys like us. But there's also a danger of over-intellectualizing and over-analyzing certain uh, parent-child problems, okay? And 
you can read as much theory about parent-child um, relationships, parent-child negotiation, as much as you want. However, everything is very bespoke, depending on your relationship with your child or your relationship with, with any child. And over-reading Google or over-reading doctor.com and, and trying to come up with an answer could actually end up, you know, sabotaging things and making things worse. So, you know, this is why professionals do exist. This is why individuals like yourself do exist, where parents have to come explain the full parameters of the situation they're dealing with and then someone with levels of advice give you know give feedback and i think the the kind of google culture of just going online and trying to find the answer as soon as possible oh you know my child can't focus on studying between seven and eight o'clock okay give him dinner earlier you know maybe one answer right um it, it it may work it may not work and and this is where that discourse and that communication needs to come through. And and, and anyway, we're not we're not that robotic society, that 1984 robotic society yet, where we need to rely on your AI and your machine learning to give you all your answers. There's still a lot of human interaction out there that I think parents are kind of missing the boat on. Um, so yeah, look, I think I, I'm with you. I think we need to reinstill a level of fun back into society. Um, I think this is going back to your original question about how the East and West can kind of help each other and merge things. I think. The right. initial principles of Eastern philosophy, where there's a lot of disciplinary focus-based principles, but everything is associated with an energy as well, right? An energy that you commit to a task is very, very strong, and I, and I like that. And I think if you if you mix that with you know the kind of sociological free will, free choice uh, dynamics of Western culture, and also the the freedom to be what you want as a child and grow up into an adult, I think if you mix those two levels of of kind of teachings you may end up getting quite close to a, a perfect situation, right? Um, but I think, I think the, other, the other reality is schools themselves, and this is one thing I work a lot with, I work a lot with educational institutions, trying to understand whether their current teaching models and syllabuses are actually in line with, with, with modern society, right? So should we be teaching kids mindfulness in a, in a, in a kind of secondary school atmosphere? Should we be teaching kids maybe about Star Wars or pop culture, you know, at an earlier age? And given the way the digital trend, and you mentioned influencers and Instagram and things like that, given the way the digital trend has kind of just started permeating children's membranes and children's brains, it may be a right time to recalibrate and recalculate how we're teaching kids from the syllabus point of view and, and the touch points. I mean, I don't think learning calculus now is probably the most important thing in the world, whereas learning how you navigate or how that digital highway was navigated from start to finish may be necessary. Maybe teaching kids patience as a, as a, not as a, as a discipline or a skill you learn, but the value of patience, you know, from an organizational setting, from a, from a, from a relationship setting, maybe something to, to look around. So this is one of the things that Trinkle is actually looking at doing at schools in Asia at the moment. Um, and we're hoping to push it out to, to other countries later. That is super fascinating. I, I really uh, want to follow up with you later too on some of that work that you're doing. That sounds really interesting. Um, Rish, no, no topic, or I mean, this topic of East meets West wouldn't be complete without diving into a little bit more about mindfulness, right? Because mm. we, we learn a lot about meditation and mindfulness from the East. I was introduced to it through my martial arts training at age 21. I always thought if I was introduced to it earlier, maybe I wouldn't have gotten into drugs and alcohol and I wouldn't have been homeless at age 17. Maybe I would have had more of awareness to be able to to understand my emotions, understand my patterns. Um, how, how does mindfulness work its way into, in a practical way, what the parents can do now with their teens? 
Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think it's it's definitely parent first when it comes to mindfulness. Yeah. Um, yes. You can't teach your children something that you yourself have not practiced or, or at least understand to a certain degree. Um, and look, it is mindfulness has taken this kind of buzzwordy in vogue kind of um, shape now where, where people think, you know, it, they associate it with meditation and they, they think it gives you kind of peace of mind and you're able to kind of process things in the present moment. As a parent, why is that important? Because your life is not just your children. It's your job usually, it's your house, it's paying the rent, paying the bills, cooking, washing, washing things, etc. You've got so many external factors playing roles in dictating how this feels that it's quite hard to actually be calm and stay in the moment. And the dishes and your car and your rent don't need you to stay in the moment. You know, the dishes aren't going to fight back. The car's not going to suddenly punch you in the face or, or start shouting at you. Whereas your kids are going to fight back. Okay. And I think that's where orientating any aspects of, 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 of what you're doing in your mindfulness efforts should be orientated towards how is your relationship with your kids? And are you truly focused in most elements of their upbringing? And the best way of thinking that is actually, are you committing the way I, I, I'm not a meditator. I've tried meditating most of my life and it's just never worked for me, but I still view myself as a mindful person because I'm able to withdraw myself from certain situations and just focus on, on one or two and, and, and just be in that moment. And this is really important because from an energy standpoint, and you'd have, you would have learned this in, in martial arts, where martial arts essentially is a lot of it's just transfer of energy. So you need to start thinking about what level of parental energy and parental positive energy you're transferring to your kids. And the most basic example I give is, you know, when, when your three-year-old or when your four-year-old is just you know, running around the lounge and just talking, talking gibberish, all this noise, you know, there's an easy tendency to just avoid that or ignore that because they're kind of doing their own thing and I don't understand that. But if you were to bring yourself out of your current situation and actually focus on them, and, and but when I mean focus on them, it means give them the time, give them your energy to show that you're actually interested in what they're doing, the child's dynamic has a very, very different take. It, it starts to think, well, actually, my parent is aware of what I'm doing. If I'm doing something right, it, it gets encouraged. If I'm doing something wrong, well, I, I check it and I'll think about it and I even have that discourse with the parent. And the parent themselves is much more aware of everything that's going on through their child's lives. And this, 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 this goes from early childhood all the way to school years, all the way to teenage years, where um, you know, more external influences come into play in both the child and the parent's life. But the mindfulness alone allows you to ask the same questions and that's will be part of the child's life in the same way you were at three years old, four years old, 10 years old, 18 years old. And I think that's a really valuable lesson for all parents. I mean, don't confuse mindfulness with this idea of, you know, being a yogi and, and reaching enlightenment. I think that's one aspect of it, um, and it definitely works for some people. But it's definitely just actually really just prioritizing what you need to do in that moment of time. And, you know, we all have kids, and or, or, or we all work with kids, and, and the, the joy that we get, a lot of the joy we get in our life is being with our children, seeing them grow, seeing them blossom into to better versions of ourselves. And how can you not view that blossoming and that prosperity if you are not focused on them, if you are not actually going through that journey with them. And, and that's how I would relate mindfulness um, back into the kind of parental cycle. I think the Asians, um, I, I don't think the Asians necessarily get this right either. I, I think I think we need to be careful. It's a bit, it's a bit like how yoga went through this buzz, buzz, buzz phase about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, where everyone was getting right. yoga mat, going to the gyms and, you know, stretching. <laughs> totally. and, and and yoga, and you know this yourself, yoga's roots are 
founded in very deep uh, Eastern philosophy, right? Um, specifically Indian philosophy, where where there is an element of enlightenment and existentialism to that process. And I'm not saying telling everyone to go down those routes, but definitely don't treat mindfulness as this kind of out of the bottle, over the counter prescription that's going to help you with your child. It needs to be really thought about in a cognitive standpoint. And I think schools should be helping that interaction. I mean, one of the things I'm really pushing for a lot of schools in Asia to do is bring parents into the classroom. I mean, you know, have a session a week or a day a week where, where or whatever's realistic from a parental standpoint, where, you know, if your kid's learning, I don't know, Napoleonic history, bring the parents into the classroom so that they're learning Napoleonic history. And, 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 and you can see that interaction between the parent and child in a learning process, right? And when they go home, they talk about it. When they go home, they interact about it. The parent doesn't have any ambiguity as to what the child was learning. The child in turn can say, well, actually, I can't say, oh, I'm having a tough life going to school during Napoleonic Wars. My, my, my parent just went through it with me. So that's one of the kind of angles we're looking at. And that goes back to mindfulness because you're being mindful and in the present of your own child's uh, you know, education and learning curve. Um, and look, I think one of the things we haven't mentioned yet, and it's very closely linked to mindless, mindfulness in, in my, my eyes is, the difference between education and learning. So for me, education is a very systemic thing. You know, an, an education system and education itself can be very much dictated based on the government that's in power, um, systemic reasons, um, and is very much driven within this boundary of, of the Department of Education, if you like. Learning is 24 seven. It can happen anywhere, everywhere, at any time. And mindfulness is part of learning more than education. Now, do we want to introduce mindfulness into the education sphere i think we should at some stage uh, i think it's important to even the same way kids are still taught about different religions at school they should be taught about mindfulness they should be talking about patience other mental health kind of challenges and, and opportunities as well um but i think that distinction between education and learning is something really really strong so in asia there's definitely a 50 50 understanding that my child will be educated within the confines of a systemic um or systemic boundaries but I also have to do elements of learning at home. And you can do that through other means. You can bring your elder brother, sister to help teach your child. You can bring tuition. You've got all these type of different, different mechanisms to do it. Playing outdoors, atelier schools, all that type of stuff. But mm -hmm. I feel in Western culture, there's so much reliance on the education part of this, being getting it right, that the learning part of it is just automatically seen as a subset of education. And to me, they're very, very different things. Because if we think about something like values and core goals and missions and ethics, these are not inherently taught by schools. I mean, what a school teaches you is, okay, don't punch someone in the face or, or say thank you after receiving something. But core ethics about, you know, whether you want to, I don't know, deal with climate change or what's your view on, you know, gender inequality, things like that. These type of things are very much only going to be taught in, 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 in the confines of the home or in, in a personal environment. And I think education authorities and parents need to kind of get together to bridge that gap. Because, like I said, something like calculus, the value of that in five to ten years' time is, is going to be pretty negligible, except for an elite few who could potentially learn that at university. The value of accounting, as an example, learning that at school is, is probably negligible now because it's mostly done by software. Um, so why not replace some of these archaic old topics that probably aren't befitting 2021 with slightly more grounded, realistic topics, such as, you know, the, 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 role, of, the role of Internet in society? You know, how do we use um, uh, Google in, in a positive way? How do we deal with mindfulness? Why are my parents talking about mindfulness? 
Um, and, and I think that type of conversation is something much more productive to me than just saying that schools are bad or saying that, um, you know, my kid's having a tough time and, and, and you know, me trying to analyze what they're going through. Um, and, you know, as we all go forward in our careers, and, and I know this in particular as, as having, having worked at quite high level, in high level roles, we're all becoming redundant from, from a job perspective. We're all, you know, things like podcasting and, and us doing coaching is, is, is really valuable now, but it might not be valuable in 20 years time when we can go to some kind of AI or machine learning algorithm and get an answer for every problem we have, okay? Um, right. So I think a new wave of jobs and a new normal in terms of how we progress socially as, as children and parents is coming. And I think parents who are still trying to instill the old ways of, you know, be a doctor, be an accountant, be an engineer, be a be a be be someone in, in who's who's deemed a success by these rules of society needs to change. Um, and you know, you you see people now embarking on careers as coders, as as animal welfare officers, as chefs. You know, these creative arts, these type of things. Mm. I think that's the path we're working towards. And, and that's ideally where I want to see education and the parent-child relationship go. Yeah. I mean, I heard somebody say like 70% of teens want to be YouTubers now. And, uh, and then some parents are like, oh, my God, what a nightmare for our kids to think that. While another group of parents is thinking, that's great because now my kid's thinking outside the box. They're, they're thinking that they could do or be anything that they want to do. And I'm going to go ahead and support their dream. You know, so, mm. I mean, my son, my son wanted to be an NFL football player and there was no way in heck that he was going to become an NFL <laughs> football player uh, with, 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 uh, you know, his body type or whatever, um, yeah. you know, not, you, you gotta be a giant and you gotta, you gotta be, um, a certain athletic ability. And so, but you know, we always let him have the dream. I think that's important is to let our kids dream. And, um, going back to what, what you were saying with mindfulness, I do think that it should be introduced at some level. And at some point as a part of the overall system, the overall curriculum, because it's not just about thinking, it's about how you're thinking and how, mm -hmm. like you said, when a parent can be in a room with a child and place their energy on a child, what does that mean? It means to bring their focus, their attention, their present mind to be able to hear, see, and feel that child in the moment without judgment and just to allow things to occur. And what is the benefit from that? Well, now they have a whole different insight on the parent-child relationship and they're not so analyzing or over-analyzing things. And that can, can bring about a whole different level of, um, of depth, I think, to a relationship. Would you agree? 100%. And look, I think, let, let's not, uh, I think the social groupings that I mentioned earlier of you being a child and, and, and someone else being a parent or, or vice versa is, it's, 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 it's it's simple oversimplified something because you know when when I was twenty one I didn't know everything in the world, I really didn't. I, in fact, I knew probably less than when I was eighteen. And you know, you, <laughs> right. you, 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 yeah, you, you, I mean, life is a continual evolution. It's an evolution of knowledge, experiences, and and emotions. And to to as a parent, I don't think we should be too hard on ourselves to feel that we need to have the answers to everything. Um, just because we're adults. And as a result, you need to take that understanding and apply it to your child because your child is going through everything you're going through, but just in a different way. So if you've had a mental health problem as an adult, I guarantee your child has had traces of, of a similar mental health problem as a child. It's just that they don't necessarily know how to verbalize it or necessarily know how to articulate it back to their parents. And this is why, like you said, the conjoining, you know, that, that relationship, actually being a relationship as opposed to a hierarchy is, is very, very important. 
Um, and you know, schools schools have a role to play in playing this massively, but it comes down to the parents wanting to, um, you know, wanting to share something more empathetic and more understanding with their child, other than just the run of the mill. You know, I'm your dad, I'm your mom. You know, you need to listen to me type relationship. And I think things like creative thinking, mindfulness, NLP are all definitely new types of angles that the education sector and parents can look into. Um, uh, in, in terms of actually facilitating that relationship with the child. I, I also think parents, you know, you know, parents parents shouldn't be overly hard on themselves that they're not conforming to the social norms about raising a child, okay? So this is, you know, you, you mentioned your son being and in, in, in wanting to be an FL player, and, you know, you and I know he probably never will be, but it doesn't mean that we, we don't encourage him to at least pursue that in some way, you know, and he, he can pursue that in a variety of ways. And, he could end up being probably a premium NFL commentator or an NFL coach or whatever. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you encourage it in different ways and you, you learn to articulate and, and help your child in a different way. And I think this is why introducing certain other elements into the education system are important, such as mindfulness, such as pop culture, such as, um, you know, creative thinking, et cetera. And if we are really, if we are all doomed, like it sounds when we speak to some people, like, you know, that robots are going to take over the world and, and, you know, we're just going to be this kind of micro race of, of just people in the ground or whatever, then, you know, we want our kids to think as much as possible because they're going to be the ones that really distinguish themselves from this automaton society that we're apparently creating. And um, I think creative thinking, the child is always, always one of the most, to me, is one of the most fruitful, amazing enterprises that I do. You know, just, just when I see a child draw something randomly, it's much better than what an adult can do because the level of imagination that a child goes to is significantly more than what, what an adult goes to. So I think parents need to, to focus on those things, not be so harsh on themselves. And, and, and you know, with, with, uh, at the risk of sounding very, you know, um, yeah, disingenuous, but just become friends with your children as well. I think that that's really, really, I have a very good friendship with my parents and, um, you know, I reached a stage in my life where my dad stopped becoming my dad and he just became a friend who I liked going out for a beer with. And, yeah. and, and, and to me, that was a, a really exceptionally important point in my life because my dad had always been the strict, you know, harsh, rigid guy. Um, he's kind of ex kind of, you know, pretty much acts like some kind of paramilitia type guy to being <laughs> the guy I, I, I would go, to, go down the pub and have a, have a beer with. And, and, and we became closer in that way. And, and and it was an evolution. It was evolution for him because he never thought he'd do this 20 years ago. But now he is there sitting with his youngest son having a beer. And, um, and, and, and that word evolution is important. You know, you and I play roles in this to, to help people understand that it is an evolution and that things change all the time. Um, but I think everyone has a part to play. And, you know, I, I just love words like empathy, altruism, humanity, um, mindfulness. I think these type of words need to be taught to kids a lot more than some of the words that they're currently learning. I love that, Rish. Uh, thank you for giving us that story about you and your dad. I love hearing that. You know, it's really cool. And uh, you've given us tons of great insights today. The thing I like about your conversation, not only have you given us some great insights, but you've also helped us almost ask more questions. Um, and I think the best conversations always lead to bigger questions. Um, my last question to you for uh, today is do you have any takeaways and any takeaway message for the parent that's listening right now that's having a hard time with their teen their teen's suffering from anxiety depression low self-esteem what do you want to tell that parent as a takeaway message uh the first thing i'll say is be patient okay i, I mean it's really difficult in the world that we're living in to um 
to process everything and, and we're, we're all pretty much going through tough times but I guarantee that for the parent who's going through that tough time, the child is also going through a level of complexity and, and unknown that we we forgot about. You know, we, we don't remember our childhood as clearly as we should and, and we definitely can't relate to it, especially in the digital world. So be patient um, and try your best to just talk it out with them, okay? I mean, sometimes talking it out takes days, sometimes it takes minutes, sometimes it takes months, but it's the journey and the effort that goes into that that usually leads to the solution. Um, and the other thing I would, I, would, I would always advise parents is, you know, go back and remember elements of your relationship with your child that brought about smiles, laughter and happiness and try to replicate those. And those can be the most ridiculously stupid things like, you know, running around, you know, kicking water in puddles. They can be making cakes in the kitchen. They could be even be watching, you know, um, Game of Thrones, you know, whatever it is, you know, um, but go back to those moments and, and, and you know, I, I, I leave you. I'll, I'll leave you with this final analogy, and, and I, I really, I always have a go with um, my family for this. They, they're so quick to take photos of every instant that goes on in the in, in life. Okay, so if 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 if, if celebration, a birthday, uh, uh, you know, a funny face, and, and we just go to our iPhones now, our Samsungs, and we just like, well, okay, that was cute, and he looked cute, or she looked cute there. But actually, the pure memory of that is in your head. And the actual emotion that you feel, feel, uh, felt is never captured by the phone. And the reason I'm asking you to go back and f remember those instances with your children is because I guarantee that will create a physical manifestation of an emotion within you, whereas a photo would never probably do that. And I think that's really, really important when you're going through a tough time and thinking, you know, it's the end of the world and how do I get through this? Re -go, go through that cycle and try to just re-engage that level of happiness that you had once in the past. I love that, Rish. That is awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. How can people get a hold of you, or do you want them to? We can always put it in the show notes if uh, you want them to learn about you and your business. Sure. Um, look, I'll leave my link in the show notes. Um, pretty much a lot of my philosophy and a lot of the learnings and teachings that I've, I've told you guys about is available on my Instagram, at uh, Ashtrinkle. Um, we'll leave that at the bottom. And for those of you who, who want professional help or want any level of services, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, uh, Rish Tandapani very easy. I think there's only one of me in the world, but at least I tell myself there's only one of me in the world. Um, so yeah, please do reach out. Um, even if it's just for simple bits of advice that sound like silly things to ask, please do. They're, they're, they're often the most important. Um, and thank you, Forrest. I mean, I, I love this podcast and, and, and I love the idea that parents and children now have a forum to really connect, you know, and, and, and deal with real topics and, and not just the theories. Mm, thank you for being a part of this this movement and this healing thank you rish all right thank you everyone thanks for listening and uh we will see you on the next show have a great day bye bye, -bye. bye thanks everyone can you think of someone who really needs to hear this message right now great send them a link to this show sharing is caring also go on to facebook right now and search parents of awesome teens with anxiety depression or low self-esteem so you can gain access to our supportive community remember it takes a village thanks for listening to the parent teen mindset show